Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. And welcome to episode 247 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the first episode of October 2018. And joining me here in the studio for this very spooky episode, <laughs> we have Gretchen. Hi. And Jeff. Greetings. Greetings, kitties. Boils and ghouls. Yeah. Uh, it is October. And that means we are talking about some scary stuff in this episode. Maybe, kind of. Let's actually find out what you guys have been doing this Halloween season. Jeff, what's been going on that would scare the pants off our listeners? I can't really say that on air, but um, <laughs> keeping it Halloween related, I, you know, been trying to keep up with my. Uh, even though I do this year round, you know, watching scary movies. Oh, yeah, try, yeah. Try I have get, also been watching scary movies. Try to yeah. get, you know, but I do that all year round. It's just like, I guess now it's acceptable to the public because it's October. It's no longer a weird habit. It's just a... That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> you just fit in with everybody now. Uh. Yeah, everybody's figured it out, <laughs> so to speak. Yep. Anything so, good? Well, you know, what I usually do is because I try to watch a lot of new stuff all the other months of the year. Mm -hmm. So October I spend watching kind of things I want to go back and watch that always feel like, oh, I should watch this or this or that, but go back and watch my old favorites or ones that I've, you know, wanted to see again, basically. Cool. You don't want to talk about any in for, like particular movies well, that you're you like, know, what, oh, what yes, I've, the classic. Okay, some of the ones that I've watched oh, that yes. I've wanted to see again is um, The Exorcist 3. Okay, because, awesome. Because Scream Factory came out, and this was about, I think, a year ago with a special edition that had the uh, director's cut on it, which is you know, been lost, and I bought it a year ago and never got around to actually watching it until now. Awesome. So I watched that, and I watched Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Hey, I just watched Return of the Living Dead Part, Part 1 last yeah. night. Yeah, 2 is not nearly as great as 1, but um, it was just released on Blu-ray, and I hadn't seen it in a number of years, and it has the original soundtrack that it was released theatrically, because when they originally released it on DVD, they were not able to for music licensing reasons have the same music. So this one, I didn't know that. So this one does. And Jeff, you uh, sure know a lot about horror movies. You're a nerd. You're not going to bring up the thing you do. Like, Clancy should be project. here and the two of you together oh, yes. should talk about it. But really... Yes, now we are hosting... If you live in the Portland area, it's called the Portland Horror Trivia Massacre that happens every other Tuesday at Homa Bar on Morrison. If you live in the area, come on down, win some fantastic prizes, gift certificates to the bar. We ask all horror movie-related questions. And this isn't just a Halloween season thing. No, we do this every other Tuesday for the entire year. Year-round, baby! <laughs> yeah, and we just took over hosting it, like, maybe, you know, six weeks ago. Yeah. There was another great group that, um, Cat and Matt, who hosted it for about two and a half years, and then they uh, moved back to Buffalo, and we... Uh, kind of 
took up where they left off. Nice. I was on their podcast. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I heard about that. What was that called, Gretchen? It was called Horror Brew. Horror Brew. Now, is Horror Brew still like associated with it? it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's not the trivia, right? It's not trivia. We changed the name because we're not associated with the podcast. You know, but but I literally asked answered my question right there. Yeah, but I did see that they are doing. They started up their own horror trivia in Buffalo. Yeah, so awesome, super cool. So that's what I've been doing, Gretchen. What about you? Well, let's see, Jeff. (laughs) 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 I cracked myself up. (laughs) It was funny. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um, Well, I mean, like you, I watch horror movies all year round. But I'm actually catching up on the new stuff like Mandy and uh, uh, Terrifier. And uh, let's see. I'm watching The the Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, so am I. It's spectacular. I'm only a couple episodes in, but I like it so far. Yeah, I'm about four. And it's fantastic. A little triggering right now because I've just lost a pet. And there was some pet death. And I was like, oh, I can't. But it's good. Other than that, it's good? It's Other than that, it's fantastic. Cool. very subtle-handed use of CGI that makes a very creepy, creepy story. What did you think of Mandy? Um, I thought it was freaking phenomenal. <laughs> Have you seen Mandy, Kyle? Mm-mm. It's on the list, like yeah. the short list. Where the other day we we're like toying around seeing that or something else. Yeah, <laughs> definitely see it. Yeah, right, I'm going to watch it. I'm looking forward to like I think it's next week or the week after on Netflix. Um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Right. Give which, me a high five. Which looks like it's not. You know, it looks pretty dark and well i read the comics that yeah, were yeah. from the archie afterlife storyline you yeah. know this i have the first one uh, vo- I, I don't know this no well like the archies they have a zombie apocalypse because sabrina teenage witch brings um jughead's dog back to life and hot dog <laughs> bites everybody and they start as like a zombie apocalypse and then this kind of spans its own like storyline of her adventures in her coven and whatnot. Wow. Yeah. So like yeah, she, yeah. she summons like some sort of goat, yeah. like some sort of goat demon or something like yeah. that. And I saw the trailer for the, sh- you know, the show and they have that. So I just bought the, uh, you know, the first volume of the oh, chilling adventures. Yeah. So I'm going to oh, re- so read cool. that. So it looks Sweet. pretty good. And I also did HP Lovecraft film festival. Yes. You are working the HP Lovecraft film festival. Pretty yeah. frequently that weekend. <laughs> I was. That was like the first weekend in October. And so the kind of always for me for the past like five or six years or five years or so, yeah. I've been helping out with this film festival. And this is a good Kickstarter for me for Halloween season. This year was nice. pretty special to me because they brought in um, for a special guest of honor, um, Chiaki Konaka. And they also brought in Necronimodal, which is this great, like, idol band that is uh, spooky. You said something earlier about them, like they're an anti-idol band. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, because they're not like the actual true, like, they're not like an idol band you actually would see in Japan amongst other idols. They're more like, like, apparently there's a whole new genre of this anti-idol style um, add different kind of musical stylings that are not like normal idol music. I mean, I don't, like baby metal, right? I mean, on, yeah, like baby metal, but elevated in different ways. Like baby gotcha. metal has still has some apparently some like idol still tendencies. I don't really know oh. much. Idolic tendencies. I don't know. Explain I, to me what what is anti idol. What is that? Well, that, first that's the thing. Do you even know what an idol group is, Jeff? This might be Other something like, cool to explain to the listeners. Group, is this too. like the Spice Girls? 
In a sense, yes. Yeah, in a sense. The, so the Spice Girls were, I wouldn't call them an idol group because they're like pop sensation group, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Don't ask me music questions about stuff I don't listen to. But the correlation there would be that in Japan, there are lots and lots of idol groups. And idols are basically very pretty girls for the most part. Although there are dude idol bands in a sense. Yeah. I don't know if they're called the same thing. They're called idols. Are they? Okay. So they exist as this crazy, like sort of uber innocent, but yet, I mean, not, not to say it negatively, but kind of creepy in the same way. Yeah, uh, like they, for their fans, yeah. essentially. Like you mean the fans are creepy. The fans are creepy, yeah. It's yeah. creepy that the fan like most fans of idols are in their forties, you know, thirties to forties, and they Living spend in the basement. a lot of no. money. I mean some of them are like, No, house, Japan like doesn't have and... basements, dude. Come on. <laughs> okay. The earthquakes. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Anyway. <laughs> I chalk this up maybe to the same phenomenon as when you see like the Japanese anime girls on full body pillows, like pillowcases. So not <laughs> like, quite who's buying that, that dark, but but sure. Definitely, I assume like the same traipsing down that dark yeah, road yeah, in Japan's. Yeah. I assume it's probably stuff, the same clientele. Side. There's a really great okay, on YouTube. There's yeah. a really great guy that tells this. We'll have to. I'll like it later. Tell you to tell you the link later. But there's a this particular YouTuber called This Exists, and I just happened to because my algorithm popped up with Necronymital <laughs> that he went on and explained like what the whole idol thing was. The idol, idol oh, culture. he d- dove he, into he, yeah, idol he broke culture. it down. Yeah. He broke it down. I watched okay, the so, Netflix so, documentary about it. Yeah, yeah so, that was also really cool. Yeah. So this band is basically an anti-idol band. Yeah, because but, they're not innocent. Or, well, they <laughs> their subject matter is dark. Yeah, because they're, so they're singing about Lovecraft and right. horror and stuff. Okay, got it. One of their songs, like the chorus was doom, 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 doom. And I was like laughing internally. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> You're doomed. Do they have a band? Do they actually play their instruments? They have a band when they are in Japan. Okay. But when oh, they're in America, yeah. they do their backtrack stuff. Okay. I'm right. sure it'd be a really amazing performance with the band. Um, I saw the backtrack. So stuff. you're wearing the T-shirt. I'm wearing their T-shirt because oh, so. it's amazing. It does look very, very cool. I the icon, like the icon stuff, is really cool about it. Yeah, it looks like a Japanese Hammer. '70s poster, yeah. basically, like and, a horror poster. And for people because they're listening, they can't see this. It has a skull, <laughs> has like a black. <laughs> it has a hand with a black glove holding a bloody knife, an eyeball, and a kitty. And a kitty, yeah, yeah of course, with with, with, with a demonic cat, yeah. So, so I've got a better names. game we can play than let's all stare at Gretchen's shirt. <laughs> 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 I want to talk about the other reason that you were at, uh, yeah, at the film festival, and the reason that we talked about it on the podcast and that I shared that the festival was happening is because Chiaki J Konaka was their guest of honor, right? Yeah. So Chiaki J. Kanaka was born in 1961 and grew up to be a very prolific writer in television and film. Specifically, the Heisei Ultra shows, his younger brother, Kazuya, also directed like a ton of Ultra movies. In 1990, Chiaki wrote two episodes of Ultraman Toward the Future, the series produced for Australia. He also wrote a number of Ultraman Tiga episodes in 96 and became the head writer for Ultraman Gaia in 1998. 
After the success of Gaia, he wrote the anime The Big O. I have not been able to watch that yet, but it sounds awesome. Kevin Derendorf from the Mazer Patrol podcast describes it as sort of like Batman the Animated Series with amnesia and a giant robot. In 2004, he wrote three episodes of Ultra Q Dark Fantasy, Episode 7, Kiara, 24, Hitogata, and 25, Darkness, or Yami, and several episodes of Ultraman Max in 2005. He also wrote 2006's Mirror Man Reflex and a 2007 anime adaptation of Giant Robo. Anyway, so yeah, Chiaki J. Kanaka is a mainstay of Ultraman writing in the Heisei era, and I did not know this stuff before. But thankfully, Kevin Derendorf from the Mazer Patrol podcast and blog hooked me up with really just some fantastic information. Actually, much more information than I was able to use in the interview. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully, Gretchen was there at the convention, at the film festival, mm-hmm. and she was able to hook me up. Well, actually, she was able to hook us up yeah. with an interview. This is how that went. Do you like Gojira? Of course, of course. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I don't know. Why not? I love Godzilla. Gojira is my number one hobby. Number one passion. <laughs> Kaiju. Uh, yeah, definitely. Of course, I, I was very influenced from of Toho Kaiju, especially Godzilla. Kanaka-san, thank you so much for being part of this interview and coming to Portland for the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. I would love to talk a little bit about your growing up and uh, how you were influenced by Ultraman growing up yeah thank you very much i hi i i my name is chiaki j konaka and uh, i am a basically a screenwriter and uh, i wrote so much uh kaiju tv shows and uh, some kind of uh, animes and uh, i i i i really uh, appreciate to invite to this festival and thank you for uh invited this pod- podcast show thank you very much well we are very happy to have you on the show i actually was not as familiar with your name before you were announced as a guest here mostly because here in america we generally don't hear very much about the screenwriters mm-hmm. involved in the ultraman episodes oh, yeah so t- tell me a little bit about how you grew up and where you learned to love ultraman okay um basically I am the first generation of the kaiju fan. Mm-hmm. Same as Mr. Arno. Mm-hmm. And uh, we grew up with Godzilla movie and the Ultraman. The first Ultraman. And, and, uh, I am, maybe I am the first generation who is, who grew up with the kaiju TV show and became professional writer. Ah, yes. So the, uh, the, I, I'm the first generation of the fan writer. How did you come to want to write Ultraman? Actually, when I was a child, uh, my father was a uh, judge. So uh, very, you know, um, strict. I can't see real time. But uh, after that, I saw soon, sooner, later, I and my younger brother watch in uh, repeat on air. And so, uh, almost the real time with Ultraman, Ultraman, and Ultra 7. And, uh, after that, I became to the uh, screenwriter almost for the, uh, light, uh, lighting, um, horror. And 
there was an opportunity to light a Ultraman. I light first for, uh, was the Ultraman great type, the title is. And yes, that, yes. the, actually, that's that not, um, Japan made. This crew is all Australian and all shoot it in Australia. That time we are in disappointed to new, create new Ultraman TV show because, uh, that's, it, it cost so much money. Mm, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, that's the production almost crashed down to making the series so much. But, uh, Ultraman Tiger plan has suddenly begun. And, uh, I, I, I was so, I, I, I'm not trusted actually. Uh, yeah, no, not so, uh, cool. And, uh, uh, I, we couldn't make, make some, uh, he, he was worried that the could have been looked, so, could have uh, looked I, I, cheaper. I was so skeptical. But, uh, after that started, I start to write the show. This is maybe what I wanted to see the new Ultraman. Oh, I, I, am now make, making this. And then we seriously, um, combine it. Ah, that's super cool. Yeah. So you were able to make the Ultraman that you wanted to see, really? Yes. Actually, um, I, in the old Ultraman series, the most favorite show was World of Seven for me. Oh. And, uh, Ultraman Tiger is that just what I wanted to see. And, but, uh, during the ma- making the show, I really changed my mind. Um, I wrote, I, 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 I loved that series. So, uh, uh, what I wanted to see, but, uh, wait, it, the main consumer of viewer is child. Wait, not, not, not for me. And so I graduated to this is for child. And that was 1996, almost the end of century. Uh, very, uh, sad feeling in in the world. But I, I want to children to see very bright future. So, uh, I changed the last episode. The last episode of Tiga? Yes. Ah, so in Tiga, I have you wrote him fighting against a Cthulhu-like creature. Yeah, Gatanotor. Hi, hi. Yeah. My, near yeah, my, my generation's Ultraman fan denied that, that last episode's story because, uh, Minna no Doryoku-ga. So in the episode, uh, the everybody's effort uh, was actually failed eventually. So they didn't like, older generation didn't like that plot. However, so he, um, he sees the kids as a bright future. So that kind of story was so accepted so well uh, among kids, not like older generations, but yeah, for kids. So, uh, 
So the, back then, the kids were so happy to be acknowledged like that for Ultraman. Actually, um, Ultraman Tiga is started so quickly, and there was no uh, story editor and main writer. But uh, in the middle of the making, uh, I slightly I I became the main writer. That was a um, unique experience for me. Is Ultraman your favorite tokusatsu hero? Of course, number one is um, <laughs> for me is Ultraman. And then you guys, as, when you grew up, did you and your brother work together on some yeah, yeah, yeah. home movies, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, my age has not real time of the age Tsuburaya's movie. That was um, in nineteen six earlier nineteen sixties. So, but uh, in summer and summer vacation, windows vacation, there was a Godzilla movie world show. Champion Matsuri. Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> almost the uh, short and cut version. <laughs> and uh, every show, every every program, we we went to that. Perfect. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We actually just spoke about the Matsuri, the champion Matsuri on the episode, just the last episode we talked about that and the one before that too, yeah. because we discuss Gojira and the ticket sales declining through mm. the 1970s. And we compare that against the Toho champion Matsuri mm. series, which is the only way to deliver Godzilla movies to children yeah, at that yeah. time. I love it. <laughs> So when you saw these uh, Godzilla movies in the Champion Matsuri, sometimes they showed Ultraman uh, uh, yeah, edits as well. Right. Yes. Uh, um, right. yeah. uh, the Ultraman coming coming back. Uh, like, uh, the, the second era of the Ultraman show. But uh, when maybe um, Shogakko Kogaku nante na. Um, like uh, fifth or sixth. Grade, mm-hmm. seventh grade. At the time, um, I and on my younger brother love not short version, but the uh, original features. Uh, Ladon, Ladan. Uh, uh, how to say? <laughs> uh, Japanese title is Ladon. Lado. Yeah. Lado. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, then Godzilla versus uh, not King Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, these films are. Not just kaiju eiga. This is very masterpiece of the entertainment. I think these two pictures are pretty different than others, I think. Absolutely. Very different tone between those two films. Yes. Rodan is dark, and especially at the beginning of the movie, yes. dark and scary. Thriller. Yes, very much. It's almost like a horror movie. And the uh, sci-fi. Right, yes, exactly. Yeah. No, um... When the Lodan frying, the sound of jet. King! Yeah. <laughs> you know. yes. And uh, uh, the end of series ending of Ultraman Tiger, there, there are Kaiju uh, Zoiga, uh, very similar to Roiga. Uh, I wrote in the script that when Zoiga fries, it sounds like jet. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love that you included a nod to Radon in yeah, Ultraman. That's right. So, so that that 
the fun rider. <laughs> yes. You know. Would you say actually that other writers, other Ultraman and Tokusatsu writers that are your age, are also fan writers that have come up? Almost after after me, oh, all all the fan writers. Do you have any specific memories of working with uh, Ultraman Tiga specifically in that very first um, series? Especially the third episode. That time, I don't think able to. The whole series is so excellent, but. My episode is okay, so it's okay. <laughs> so when I wrote the episode three, I I thought I thought it in Japanese you know, broadcast after that. The fan is very excited about the episode three because one and two as were not so bad, but uh, very slow tempo at this time. Uh, but three is very. Excited, but because the the director is changed and uh, the tone of the story is totally different. Ah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for Ultraman fans, especially when looking at a larger piece, right? Yes. So instead of looking at an individual episode, Ultraman fans are looking for the story arc involving that particular Ultra hero. But uh, Ultraman Tiga, the first um, first half. Was no, there is no control. The each writers for themselves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so is it more like a war room inside the writers' room? Not war room. There is no, there is no control. I say. No control. Yeah. But only young producer want want try to control, and then he. Trust to me, so uh, I I I can make the Hanashi no I try to make the flow of the conversation and the con- story. So, so sorry story. So it's construction, and uh, I could like like the last episodes. Did you like working on Tiga better than working on Gaia? Yes, um, Tiga was totally after all that I wanted to see that. Gaia was when I asked to come in the third program of the Heisei Ultraman. I didn't want to join it because uh, I really I was very tired for making Tiga and uh, very I spent my energy. <laughs> but uh, I really think after that we have to make totally new expression on Ultraman series. So we try hard and uh, more hard series. So uh, Gaia is maybe more important for me. But as a writer, uh, script, maybe I can good for Tiga. I used the energy for Gaia as a main, almost like construction. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were. You sort of orchestrated the entire yeah. Gaia story mm-hmm. arc yes. yourself. Yes, uh, um, actually uh, myself only. Oh, you were the only writer. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm not only Lila. Lila is very uh, four or five writers. Okay, okay. But uh, every week we uh, t- meeting, we had a meeting, and uh, uh, I control the story mm-hmm. and and the characters. In Tiga, 
of course, every week there are the meeting, but the uh, writer is um, one coming just out. So more individual episodes yes. because one writer just writes one episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas with but Gaia, the guy yeah, was uh, whole the scenario was led by older uh, writers mm-hmm. and uh, discussed how to go next. And we discussed and but I finally I decide to okay you write this. Gaia has such a a dark impending doom mm-hmm. coming. It's you can really tell from the first couple of episodes. Yes, like something big is on the horizon. Gaia is nineteen ninety eight and perfect end of century and almost Nostradamus era. Oh yeah. And uh, we all the stuff know that this is uh, almost the final that final series that we can do anything to do it. So uh, the cast is so much so great. Mm-hmm. Special effects is more more gunpowders. Ultraman <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is two. <laughs> yes, yes. How do you feel about? Ending the work on Gaia. Tiga and Gaia, Gaia and and continuing on. Uh-huh. I tried to make totally your story at Gaia, but uh, in other side there was a same working. I don't know what they summarize the episodes they had in the whole year as one episode. They summarize everything in one episode. Okay, so I think that's the, the similarity between Gaia and Tiga. So the next time you came back to write any kind of Ultraman, mm-hmm. it was for Ultra Q Dark Fantasy, right? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Would you like to talk a little bit about the three okay. episodes that you wrote for Dark um, Fantasy? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, you know, um, I had that opportunity to uh, work together with the master Akiyoji Soji. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two episodes are very uh, special for me. I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode seven with the jazz club. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was that a little bit of yourself in that element? Because, I mean, you're no, a No, no. <laughs> Come on. No. You see, um, <laughs> I, um, and that's a very traditional stated head musician. Mm. I, I am a funk bassist. Ah. Totally different. <laughs> Uh, that was directed by uh, Mr. Kaneko, Kaneko mm. Shiusuke, and a very good, good mate. That was a beautiful show. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of it, personally. You know, um, Mr. Kaneko is uh, famous about the uh, uh, beautiful girl appears yeah. in his picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happens in every one of his movies, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Gamera, yeah. of his, course. His yes, Gamera yes. girls, and in the uh, Crossfire. Yeah, right. hi, hi. Yeah. Actually, um, I wrote for Jisoji two scenarios. One is about a doll. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is almost what I like. But uh, the other one, Darkness, is he changes so many scenarios 
description. So maybe he wanted to explain not my style. That's okay. But uh, when I went to uh, the shooting studio, he welcomed me and uh, we were very happy. So for the listeners, because you probably have not heard this name very much, Konaka-san is talking about Akio Jisoji. Jisoji is a very famous Ultraman director. The, I think the most famous episode of the original Ultraman series that I would be able to point at and say, this is his style, is the Jamila yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very unique, even among Ultraman episodes. And then he went on to do much, much more. And he's just considered to be sort of a visionary of the Ultraman directors. So it must have been very cool to work with Jisoji-san. And uh, his style uh, of the picture is so strongly influenced to Japanese uh, directors, not only on live action, even Mr. Oshi, famous anime director, he's also influenced by Jisoji's angle. So Jisoji's angles, there's this one shot of Captain Mura sitting in front of the science patrol car smoking a cigarette but he's smoking the cigarette in the headlight and so he's got this crazy atmosphere around yeah. him yeah, yeah. or um, so strongly um, uh, wide shot mm-hmm. and uh, pan shot and i mean and back and front uh, same focused his style so uh I think uh, now Japanese young directors um, they didn't know the the origin of the way of the shot, but we know that the origin is Mr. Jisoo's style. <laughs> yes, yes. Ultra Q Dark Fantasy was it a big hit in Japan? Did people enjoy it? Actually, um, uh, it's not a uh, Golden Times program. Mm. It was a midnight show. So uh, and uh, not um, hold. Japan, locally. Oh, just in like in yeah. Tokyo? Mm-hmm. Oh. Tokyo, Osaka, such as. Major cities. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, so, not so famous. We don't really get a lot of ultra shows mm-hmm. here in America, but I hope that in the near future, mm-hmm. because Tsuburaya is starting to. Ah, yeah, 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 America, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that we in America can yeah, start yeah, yeah, getting yeah. some of these older programs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And new, you know, younger fans, mm-hmm. even older fans like myself, can get officially oh, yeah. uh, translated versions of these. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's our main problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I really expect it. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great because. For so many years, Subaraya was not allowed yeah. to do business mm-hmm. anywhere outside yeah. of Japan. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a man of today, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that uh, I think that Ultraman Tega was uh, on the sh- TV show on US. Not yes, yes. Ultraman Tiga was broadcast here in the United States. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiger, and, my son and I used to watch it yeah. when he was a small but, boy. Uh, Diana and Gaia is not broadcasted, maybe. But I, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, uh, Oliver Stone, he uh, asked to Tsuburaya, why not to remake in U.S. Ultraman Tiger, Gaia. Gaia remake. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah. It's a vicious Why culture. Oliver Stone? <laughs> Stone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, I, I hear directly from the producer. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. so that's not a lie. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came back to the Ultraman property with Max. Yes. Ultraman Max. Max was uh, I just um, joined in as a helper for the main director Yagi, and uh, he and uh, first I worked to write one or two scenario only, but uh, after that you should write final episode <laughs> <laughs> and again <laughs> okay <laughs> then i maybe around four or five episodes i don't remember this. sure but uh, yes i was i'm wondering if you might be the one ultraman writer who has written the most amount of finales the final episodes for ultraman ah so that's right well, was not good. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering if you uh, because you uh, like Max is yeah. actually the suddenly began because uh, the before show was uh, Nexus, mm-hmm. and uh, Nexus was a uh, very uh, ambitious series, but they made two adult, oh. and uh, the ladies growing down, and so you have to do something. To and suddenly ha- happening with banks. Mm-hmm. So, same as Tia, there are no pre productions. And uh, all episodes with 33 or something is not, not fight, not hold the season year. Right. Um, so, uh, I can't construct a whole series, and uh, finally, I couldn't write last episode for the whole the series uh, Max is so uh, um, unique directors came in uh, such as uh, um, Kaneko also and uh, get many guests so there are two variety so a lot of variety yes, of, of yes. different styles of directing yeah. coming in for the Max so um, the final episode is I like to uh, just uh, great <laughs> Expression. <laughs> so uh, I invite Keiichi Sato, who is uh, the designer of the Big Go. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the the last uh, big kaiju is designed by Sato. I guess what I would like to do, sort of, to wrap up this interview, is to kind of ask you if you have anything that you've been working on. Uh, I I think at one point there was an announcement about a project called Despera. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that gone anywhere? Are you working on anything? I can't say this time, but yes, still survive the project. Okay, good, good. Konaka-san, I really would like to thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah. We don't get to talk enough to writers these days. Yeah, my and, pleasure. Uh, thank you also again for being here in the hometown of the Kaiju Cast, Portland, yeah. Oregon, and being part of the HP Lovecraft Film yeah. Festival. Portland is wonderful. Thank you again. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, aside from his Ultraman stuff, I'm not really familiar with uh, much of his other work. Well, he did. He wrote Marbito. Um, he also, as far as his horror like lineage, he wrote a ton of anime. Uh, Ghost Hound Lane. The Big O. Um, the Big O Mononoke. Uh, he also did. He there was there's this really kind of silly um, horror series called. Um, from a like a really old school like manga artist named uh, Kazuo Ume, Umes, mm-hmm. and 
he did a couple of episodes of his like little horror, like night gallery style anthology show. Oh, really? Kanaka wrote like just, he's just prolific as far as all the things that he's done. I was blown away. Like, and he's very humble about it. And you're, when you try to talk to him about it, he's very like kind of, kind of quiet and reserved about it. Hmm. But he got a big kick out of the fact that I had a gay, 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 no Kitaro bag. Oh, okay. And he was like, Oh, you like retro. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Apparently <laughs> he wrote an episode of Kitaro. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just, oh, wow. It's cool. Like the, how, like when we say prolific, like, I'm not into the Lovecraft thing, but the fact that he, you know, works in the Lovecraft mythos. Yeah, he wrote and the Inns myths. Does, of- yeah, it does. And works in the Ultraman and did Mirror Mask Reflex. And uh, like she said, like a lot of the manga, like the, uh, not the manga, a lot of the anime. Just it's cool he to see Digimon one. For those- oh, my gosh. You should hear about the Digimon stuff. Uh, it's, it's nuts. It's insane. So like Digimon fans out there that listen to this podcast. This guy, we met him. He was amazing. In fact, I'm just going to say right now, if you want to hear much, 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 much more about Chiaki J. Kunaka, then please check out the Mazer Patrol podcast episode that I will have a link to in the show notes. Because uh, those guys, that's Kevin and Justin who were doing that one, and they went into a ton of information. I'm just going to post a link to all of the episodes and their sort of Lovecraft in Tokusatsu Japanese media uh, episodes that they did because oh. I think Kevin said they recorded for like eight hours or something like that. Wow. I'm I'll totally check that out. Yeah. Eight hours. Well, so the, the episode specifically that I listened to was about Konaka. Well, it's about a whole bunch of writers, but they spent a serious chunk of it in the middle talking about Konaka and his work. It was really interesting. Then, like I said, way more information than I was able to use in the interview, but you know what? <laughs> I'm legitimately hoping that someday in the future, I could maybe like meet up with Kanaka again and have a longer chat with him because maybe with a has, translator. I'm sure he has so much to tell. You know, he when I went out to dinner with him and Richard Stanley, by the way. So if people don't know who Richard Stanley is, he's the director of um, Hardware and Mother of Toads, and he's working on a like color out of the space. It was fascinating w- talking to these two guys about uh, like David Cronenberg films, and it was just it was a really cool like sushi dinner. We ate this sushi piece called monkey brain. And then Konaka was like, I know, I don't, I don't want monkey brains. And I was like, oh no, it's like, it's funny. And like, he go, he was like, oh, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> but he finally tried it and he was, he was like, oh, okay. It's, it's crab with avocado. Yep. Just like monkey brains. <laughs> right. Just like just in like Japan, right? Brain. Don't you have monkey brains in Japan? Yeah. And it tastes like crab with avocado. <laughs> and spicy tuna. <laughs> I, one of the, on, on the interview that was so funny is that there was something he kind of glazed over when I asked him about him playing the bass guitar and the character that he wrote about in the um, episode of Dark Fantasy. He, at the panel, he was like, yeah, I played the guitar and like I was a jazz musician into that. And then when we go to interview him, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. no he, yeah, no. He, like, he, he has, totally glazed. What he said was, completely different (laughs) like no i'm sorry it's completely different i play it's almost like somebody saying i played this way and then the guy in the episode played like this like completely different (laughs) so yeah (laughs) but it really was a treat to get to talk to that guy it was cool and kind of made me think like about how he infuses horror into essentially a children's show, Ultraman, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, one of the series he worked on, like, from the get-go, you can tell there is some impending doom it's on the horizon. Dark. Like, I don't think of those types of themes and that type of darkness yeah. when I think Ultraman. <laughs> you know, because I, you watch I think about the oh, 66 show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the, you like... a little bit, I think. Did you watch Tiga? I saw whatever the original Ultraman is that... Yeah, it, it's the 1966 yeah. one. The yeah. sixth one. I saw that, oh, you know, a lot when I was a kid. But any of the other incarnations of Ultraman, I'm not that familiar with. It's kind of one of those, again, shot on video kind of ones, and it's painful to look at, but it's such an interesting feeling and vibe you get from it. Hmm. As far as with Tiga. And now knowing... But well, we, we know. know. Yeah. It's like, totally. oh, makes sense. Yeah. But so, that's what I did for October. And then on top of that, went to the Davis <laughs> Graveyard. Oh, cool. That's right. <laughs> you should talk about that. I forgot about that. I'm glad you brought oh, that up. Oh, yeah. Oh, my First gosh. Up, tell, let's tell the listeners what the Davis Graveyard is. Or uh, the Davis. Is that what it's called? The Davis, Davis Graveyard. Because I had never even heard of it before you mentioned it. Oh, really? For real. So Davis Graveyard is this family that puts on a Halloween display. It's a facade that they put on the outside of their house. And they resurrect like every, <laughs> they resurrect every year. They bring back all these different, especially like a celebrity has passed away <laughs> and whatnot. This year they had... um a Haru uh, Nakajima. A tombstone. Yeah, tombstone. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my heart. Yeah, Where is this awesome. located? Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Oregon. Yes. For the yes. listeners out there. I think I know where that is. Yeah. It's a, like they have all kinds of effects and like, the fly and that kind of stuff. It's it's really cool. They have a kind of a punny like atmosphere to some of the different headstones as well. As nice. Well as That's awesome. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I should go down there and check it out just to sort of kind of pay respects, I guess. That sounds weird when we're talking about an attraction. But and you should do it. A, sounds cool, though. Do a grave rubbing. A grave rubbing? You can't go in their, in their uh, yard. Buzz well, he'll, he'll, Kyle will tell him who Not he is. Not in the spirit <laughs> of Halloween. Kyle will tell him who he is. Yeah. What do you is... know who I am? <laughs> From the Kaiju cast. <laughs> I speak in Portland. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what yeah. about you, Kyle? What have you done this yeah. Halloween season? Oh, Do you have any? Uh... Yeah. Well, aside from going briefly to the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Mike Webb was in town. We couldn't get him in. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Veba. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, sorry, Weber. Yeah, Veba. Uh, so we had a friend in town, but I've been, I have been watching movies, actually. I asked a good friend of mine, Jeff Dean. For a list of 1980s horror films oh, nice. that oh, I could do. That for... guy, he probably sent you a bunch of weird <laughs> movies. He did. Some of them are weird. Basically, I've been doing Inktober. I did Inktober last year. If people are unfamiliar, Inktober is sort of a global project shared over social media where you ink one drawing each day. You know, most people have some spooky subject matter. But in my opinion, it's more about the act of creating something daily than the subject matter. So last year I did vintage horror starting, I think, with the 50s and went through the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Now this year I decided to just focus on the 80s because the 80s was a treasure trove of horror. So 31 80s horror films, Jeff selected them. Oh, and nice. so I've been doing the uh, I've been doing drawings from each one each month. Each I day. tried to mix up some classics. Yeah, I saw with, his list with some ones that aren't 
typically classic. Some of them like personal favorites. Yes. Now I know there's going to be some that are not going to be like, this is, who likes this? Um, I appreciate that you put in Night of the Comet because I love that movie. Really? I love that movie. Well, this episode is not about Night of the Comet or <laughs> how much I did not like it. <laughs> but it's funny because we'll I'm talking about it later. Thing for me. No, I can totally tell. It looked Night of the Comet specifically. I I admire it for putting um the actress It's Kelly Maroney <laughs> is the blonde. Okay. And it's like Catherine Mary Stewart. Or something I like think that, that might be right. Let's just <laughs> yeah. leave it at that. Yes, that's that's what it is. Three names. She got three names. Can very. She confusing. was the girlfriend. She was a lady. From, yeah, she was the girlfriend from the last Starfighter. Yes. which I saw a billion times as a kid, and I had never seen Night of the Comet, so it was actually kind of cool to see her oh, be a badass. Funny. And even though she was a badass, she still like adhered to some weird '80s themes. <laughs> Anyway, it's funny yeah. because I picked that movie. Yeah. Not because it's like, I don't really love that movie. I uh-huh. think it's fine, but I picked that movie because I thought like, okay, this is an eighties movie. That's not like, it's not a classic by any means. It's not. I, I don't <laughs> think that a comment is like, I mean, I think it's okay, but I thought like, I'm gonna, I got to mix and throw a couple oddballs in here. Sure. And I thought like, maybe you hadn't seen that one. Before, I hadn't. So. I hadn't. And I'm glad to have seen it all. Every single one of these movies, I'm glad to have seen because I know that they exist in the sort of like mythos of 80s horror. Mm. And I really am enjoying the sci-fi horror fusion thing. You know, yeah. Scanners was like mind blowing. Have you never seen Scanners? <laughs> yeah. I had never seen Scanners. Thank you for the late. Oh laugh. my gosh. I, That's I a never, great film too. Both, I think I had only seen about 10 movies on the list. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, Jeff, you and I are horror nerds, so. Yeah. We're... Yeah. Uh, Earn online asked me, he's like, where were you in the 80s? That's my Earn impersonation. <laughs> You're welcome, sir. And uh, I said, under the protective iron wing of my parents. <laughs> they would not have let me watch any of those movies as a kid. Uh, anyway, that's what I've been doing. But I have been thinking about scary things, thinking about giant monsters and scary things, and and wondering what you guys think about horror in kaiju films, specifically. Mm. It's something that I feel like the original films, you know, that first decade, sure. spawned from horror. Like, the original Godzilla movie was supposed to be scary. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm kind of wondering where you guys sit with that. Like, do you feel like there are any specific moments in kaiju history that stand out as being scary? And from that that time period? Yeah, from any time of Godzilla's periods. Mm. Any of his eras, multiple eras, you could say. Well, I do believe that the original 1954 film is a horror movie. Oh, he's totally frightening. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. If Cookie Monster, <laughs> <laughs> but but for right. 1954 for sure. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's a very serious, uh-huh. suspenseful film. Absolutely. And because you are kind of put, you know, with the protagonists of the film, it's like you're in their shoes. Well, you know, the thing that makes this movie kind of the original Godzilla kind of a scary and very somber film is the fact that you know it's played straight. It's oh, not, absolutely. It, it's 100% not, it's not yeah. aimed for kids because they show the destruction. They show. It's not know, glossed over like the other films. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the difference between that film and a lot of kind of what 
happened to the Showa series as it went along. For sure. Mm. Actually, let's just really quickly establish a baseline. So we all know, I'm sure in this room, no matter how much I would, you know, I feel like I would love to hug a kaiju in real life. The idea of a towering, gigantic beast crumbling your city, your friends, family, everybody, and everything you love, that is a baseline horror. Every single one of these movies, that's automatically included in these films. So we're going to be looking above that mark. We're looking for anything that stands out that literally maybe scared us when we watch it, when we watched it, or we think that was purposefully done as a, like a scare tactic when that movie was made. That's sort of the stuff that I wanted to focus on in this. And mm-hmm. hopefully you guys are down with that. Yeah. What else? Anything like what, what do you find the most terrifying about the original Godzilla? Even if you could put yourself in the 1954 people of Japan's shoes. Well, we're coming out of World War II. We're coming out of all that atomic um, bomb dropping. And just that was the complete destruction of many, many people. Mm. So, I mean, this is kind of the same as far as effects that Godzilla had on that town, right? Yeah. Do you know about the uh, the Lucky Dragon number five incident as well? No. Do you know about that, Jeff? I do not. So there was a fishing boat called the Lucky Dragon number five, and it was warned not to go into an area in the Bikini Atoll where they were doing some nuclear testing, and they decided to go get some choice fish where no other fishermen were going to be and they drifted into the fallout zone from these nuclear tests they came back to japan unloaded their radiated tuna Mm -hmm. and then people found out about it and there was a huge huge scare in 1954 early 1954 and so Actually, I was watching one of the special features on the Criterion Godzilla, the 1954 Godzilla, Mm. and they were interviewing someone whose name I don't remember off the top of my head. And he said that in Japan at that time, and because of the occupation after the war ended, many people in Japan didn't even know how bad radioactivity was from World War II, from the two bombs dropping. Mm. They had no idea. Yeah. It was the tuna scare, which really did it. And so I'm not saying that Godzilla didn't represent the specter of nuclear war, which we all know he does. Sure. But Tomiyuki Tanaka also played on that fear for the people of Japan at that time. Mm. So I don't know. Just something I wanted to throw in there about that. I definitely say that that was the scariest. If I was going to say of all Godzilla films that I've ever seen, that is the most frightening one. Sure. I would agree with that. I think the next scariest thing, the only thing that would be scarier was only the trailer for the legendary, the mood piece that they came out with the legendary picture movie. Like that thing, when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, are they going to actually make a scary Godzilla movie? That would be amazing. Like when they were parachuting off of the the plane. I'll have to show it to you before. They had this whole teaser that they put together way before they started filming Mm. where it just showed destruction just smashed trains dead bodies everywhere and stuff like destroyed buildings and then you hear like oppenheimer's voice in the background you know saying like 
Uh, some people laughed. Some people, you know, cried. It, this whole thing from the nuclear test. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the very last thing that happens in the trailer is like you see a broken building and there's just this cloud of dust and this shadow sort of like shows up in the dust and turns and you realize how freaking huge it is. And yeah. then it turns and does the Godzilla roar. Ooh. And it is, it's like chilling. chilling for sure. And when they came out with it, <laughs> it's like all these Godzilla fans are like, we have the sorry guy. But uh, <laughs> just hold it a billion times on the podcast. But anyway, so when it came out, I was at G Fest that same weekend that that trailer hit. And so there were people trying to describe what they saw via text, via messaging, because because uh. Comic-Con that weekend had it on lockdown. Right. So nobody yeah, recorded yeah. it. And uh, I mean, nobody that I saw recorded it anyway. So uh, later, much, much, much later, I saw it. But it was really, really cool and really not what the end result was so like. <laughs> anyway. It's funny because, you know, the scene in the original Godzilla where Godzilla first pops up over the hill. Yeah. is still extremely chilling scene. I'm wondering if that might be some nostalgia. Yeah. It might be. It's painted a little over. But, monstery by okay, that this, point. This yeah. is something that... It's a full-on okay, puppet, too. Yeah. yeah. And this is like a fear that I've had because... I'm going to get very personal right now. Okay. <laughs> Please let's, do. Let's bring up the candles and the, <laughs> and the Ouija board. No. Um, Mood lighting. As a really young child, I was probably like four or five, I would have this recurring dream where I am on my tricycle in my na- the neighborhood that I grew up in for the first few years of my life. I hear this horrible roar, screeching sound. I look behind me and there's a dinosaur. Like, you know, behind me, like a couple blocks over, yeah. raising up. It sees me. But of course, I turn around and try to pedal as fast as I can. And I had that dream over and over again as a kid. And it was like so, like, petrified and scared of that. I'm like, Red Rob, Red Rob. Yeah, and it's like, it's so funny. So I have always had this, like, deep-seated fear for, like, there's certain movies that kind of trigger Jeff, this. let me look into your future. <laughs> yeah. You will be crushed by something gigantic. Yeah, so I've always had this, like, irrational fear of being, like, hunted or chased by. That's why, like, I know, like, this is, like, when I went and saw Jurassic Park with Alex <laughs> and the T-Rex scene, my... My palms were sweating and I was like so oh scared. And she's like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, this is like triggering all my like childhood fears. And I had the same sort of thing with Cloverfield, certain parts of that. Oh, yeah. Totally. As well, too. It's like, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, and I do think like the original Godzilla plays into those fears. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially what you're telling me now. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. And I mean, I mean... For the listeners, I was just laughing, but I was trying to contain that laughter. So I'm he's like making fun of me. Some tears away. He's making fun of me. I, I, <laughs> it just sounds funny when you. Well, because we picture adult Jeff know, riding away exactly. on a tricycle. Yeah, so, you're you absolutely know. right. That is one hundred percent, one hundred percent what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm going. But yeah, man, like basically what I would say is your that's your fear. That's like a nostalgic fear for you. That's cool. yeah, yeah. And so it's that's awesome that it's tapping into that. I think it's yeah. incredible, actually, that, that but, you but it's see funny that be- scene and you can tap into that yeah, fear. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's those types of movies. Uh, when movies have those types of scenes in them mm-hmm. and they're played for their horror aspect, mm-hmm. I can totally like, oh, my God, I can relate to this. Yeah. That's your that aspect of horror actually like is your horror. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think the first Godzilla really taps into those emotions. I think anybody really, you know, because yeah. I mean, it's it's told from the human perspective. Absolutely. Yes, first, yes, yes, yes. The first film. I actually think that that entire decade, that first decade of kaiju films, basically, like I said earlier, I feel like it sprung from the pool of American horror at the time. You know, we were smack dab in the middle of the uh, atomic monster age. Mm -hmm. I believe America had just finished up with some alien invasion films, and we're going to continue doing some alien invasion films, too. And that's where... The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms came out. Anyway. Well, there's like, you know, the atomic insect, like them, them is like yeah. 54. Hey, yeah. what a great segue for me to actually say, I don't think anything was scary uh, outside of that baseline from uh, the 55 Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except for the fact that it was just scary that they took it to market so quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. the, uh, but the segue that I was talking about was for 1956's Rodan which was my first kaiju film, as I've said a kajillion times on the show. And that first act, let's please yeah. spend some time talking about the first act of Rodan, because it is a, uh, for me, it's not that it's scary, but that sound of the mm-hmm. mega neuron. Yeah. Just that sound reminds me of the terror that I felt. Yeah. And, Cause it sounds like a, um, a violin, you know, well, I do think like the first time I saw Rodan, I was disturbed by some of the shots and violence that's in the movie. <laughs> like when they find the worker's helmet, it's kind of bloodied. Oh, that's actually, they find the jet fighter's helmet. Yeah, the jet fighter's helmet. Yeah, the jet fighter's helmet is like completely splattered with blood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of shocking. So I think I saw it like when I was maybe ten, nine or 10 years old and they had that scene in there. Mm. And then the couple... Remember the couple that gets eaten by Rodan? Like yes, I couple, do. Which was very kind of like at the time, I'm like, oh, that's kind of like, you know, shocking and stuff. That's the entryway of, of the second act there is when yeah. the couple gets eaten. And of course, the insect is like extremely disturbing. Yeah, it's <laughs> disturbing. Uh, it's one of those things that doesn't hold up so well over time. Just the insect, the mega neuron. But the performance of Kenji Sahara, because... Have you seen Rodan? I can't remember. Mm-mm. So in Rodan, the actor Kenji Sahara is trapped by a, a cave-in in this mine. And when he wakes up, he's in this big, gigantic open cave and all these big bugs that are human-sized bugs that were attacking everyone, they're getting eaten like little tiny worms by this gigantic creature that hatches out of an egg. And it's Rodan. And there's Ooh. two of them. And he basically, it's so terrifying to him that he loses his memory. And so they find him much, you know, much later from this happening, but they find him stumbling through the mountains after a cave in outside of the mountains or in the valley or something like that. And he has no idea who he is. He has no idea what's going on. And luckily he was found by the people who knew him. And then He's in the hospital one time and his girlfriend 
is like, oh, look, these baby birds have a, they're in a, they're oh, in a nest no. and they're hatching. And they, she hands him the He's like basket. triggered. It totally triggers him. And Aww, the terror that he feels, the terror that you see him feel was so like, I feel it just yeah. even thinking about it. It's so Aww. dead on. Like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I haven't somehow I've missed Rodan oh, in my girl. Um, I know I have it on Blu-ray. You're going to come back sometime. We're going to watch Rodan. I mean, uh, yeah. I never come over here. Only for <laughs> recordings. 1956. <laughs> that was when that movie came out. So we're still right in the beginning of this kaiju phase. Um, the next film in the tokusatsu genre would be 1957's Mysterians, which is an alien invasion this film. This is another film I've never seen. <laughs> Some people, like Martin, would say, you don't need to see the Mysterians, but uh, I disagree. <laughs> the Mysterians is a, is, is a you know, you just, I guess it's sort of your standard alien invasion film. You yeah. Know, they're here to, to steal our women, to set steal up a plot our of land. Women. They want to you know, mate with the women and get rid of all the men. Take it, over the planet. It's not particularly scary, but there is a kidnapping scene where it's uh, like War of the Worlds, that vibe of the yeah, 1940s, yeah. 50s? 50s. The 1950s yeah. War of the Worlds is sort of like evoked for me when I see the Mysterians steal the Japanese women. Yeah. I mean, it's very influenced by... You know, the American films made like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Sure, yeah. Like you said, War of the Worlds, Invisible Invaders, all these films. But made. not so scary. Yeah, not, not necessarily not so scary. scary, yeah. You know, and the next one that I would even say dips into scary potentially is Daikaiju Varan, which if anybody's seen that movie, they're probably like, what are you talking about? That is silly, completely silly. But imagine, we're not talking about movie scary, because I'm... I'm imagining that in 1957, there was a difference between the scares you're going to get in a movie theater and mm -hmm. the scares you're going to get on TV. A huge difference. Yeah. Not yeah. like today. So in 1957, the, uh, the scary stuff you'd see in a movie theater wouldn't make it onto a scary screen. But what could you put on TV to make a kaiju film scary but cool enough for TV? And I think I would say maybe Varan was hitting that. It's a little bit of a stretch, probably, <laughs> but I just trying to make it through these first 10 years. <laughs> you know, the next time I think we have any real horror is, you know, after the Godzilla series comes back, this is a King Kong versus Godzilla. And that's not scary at all. No. It's a comedy. Yeah, yeah. But the following year, 1963, we saw the mushroom people the attacking tango. everyone. Seven young people shipwrecked on a mysterious island. The island was deserted. Not even birds or animals dared to come here. What did they find? Hey! Hey! Seaweed, fish, and turtle's eggs. Anything we can eat, as well as snakes and lizards. Just let me finish. There's a lot of grass growing around here. You can eat the roots. You can eat the roots of a lot of plants here. You never thought of that, did you? They were driven to the edge of starvation. Food was scarce, and they were forbidden to eat the mushrooms that grew on the island. Fear and hunger turned them against each other. 
as you. But Tango will help me live. I haven't been hungry since I left the ship. Mamie. Oh, help me. Help me. Please. Can't we eat the mushrooms now? That would really be the end of us. Akiko! Matongo, the vegetable monster. Can they escape the dreaded Matongo? You'll find out when you see Matongo. That's one yeah, of my Matongo. favorite. I mean, the effects are so scary. Good in that movie. I just love like the whole color scheme of the film. I'm and when you. you see, like, because it's it's a fairly graphic film. When you see the mushroom people and the people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morphing you, into the mushrooms. If you have a thing about bumpy textures, yeah, you don't yeah. want to watch Matongo. And you know, oh. that, that film was nearly banned in Japan. Why? Because it was because, just too scary? Well, because of, you know, radiation sickness, oh. which had happened only 15 years before the movie I came out. That. They thought it would be too disturbing. But isn't but that it, what makes it a horror film? Sorry. Well, I'm saying like for Japanese audiences yeah. who, you know, if you went through radiation sickness mm-hmm. like a lot of them did it would be disturbing and maybe too graphic for them it did get shown there but i heard i read that it was very questionable interesting interesting that some of the because you know when they're turning you get the, the bumpy faces oh and yeah, a lot yeah. Of mm. mutations and oh stuff. i know they're gross <laughs> yeah so they thought it would be like th- this might be too much yeah. for japanese audiences okay. right on i did not know that I guess I haven't done too much research on Matongo. Yeah. Oh, I really like that scene where, like, you see the mushroom people, like, in the forest. Yeah. And they, like, they shift slowly. Like, that, to me, is super oh, spooky. Oh, yeah, where you can't really see the detail. The, of yeah. Them. You see yeah. them shift, and you're yeah. like, oh, there is something not good in this woods. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a... It's a well-constructed movie. Absolutely. And that's, like, it's a very much kind of a mystery, because you're not sure what is going on. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But, uh... Uh, yeah, it's one of my my favorite films. It's not necessarily a kaiju film. Yeah. Well, we were talking but, about that earlier. It's not a daikaiju film. Yeah, but, but it is. It is a kaiju film because kaiju means strange beast. And yeah. The Matongo yeah. creatures, I think, could be strange beast dishes. Has that ever got any sort of official... I know it got released in America on DVD by, like, what is it, Tokyo Shock? Mm-hmm. Like, at least 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, a while ago, yeah. But... No, not no. yet. But cool. it hasn't been released. It needs to get a Blu-ray release. Oh, because absolutely. it's a gorgeous-looking yeah. movie. Yeah, I think I one of the things that, that I love about Matongo is that sense of dread. Because even in the beginning, when they're uh, on the boat and everybody's happy, nobody seems genuinely happy. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. got a little grime to them. There's just something dark and grim about the entire thing. And then when it gets going... It really gets going. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful film. It kind of reminds me of that terror, the Shijoku series that was, is it Shijoku? Mm, I don't um, know what that is. It's that series that was put out by Criterion that was like 
Um, oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. When the horror came to Shochiku. I was so close. You were close. You were close. Yeah. yeah it, Shochiku it, is it, a is a it's not included on that set. What do you mean? Oh, no. Oh, Mutango is not. No, included. no, but there's another movie that has like a very like reminiscent feel to it. Like Goku the, the Body Snatcher. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Nice. The, on the yeah. plane, that yeah, same kind yeah. of like effect makeup. Yeah, with yeah. The, the side body phase. horror. Oh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. very Bird kind of and uh, Matt graphic. just did a, did a body horror episode from the Kaiju Transmissions podcast, actually. Yeah, it's I, maybe good. Maybe you'll listen to it. Good effects and pretty graphic, even for like, because that, I think Goku is like 68 or 67. Oh, is that way further? Oh. It's a few years after Matango, but it's still pretty fairly graphic, you know, yeah. for the time. I don't think that. Matanga was necessarily graphic at the time for Japan. Might be graphic in what you were talking about in terms of like the correlation to radiation sickness. Yeah. But the 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond, there's weird Japanese cinema happening at that time, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the horror scene in Japan was happening. I mean, there's definitely lots of horror movies that came out in the 50s and 60s in Japan. They're just not super scary for the most part. A lot of merfolk tales and stuff, too. And that set that you're talking about when horror came to Shochiku, that I think has four or five movies Mm -hmm. on it. It's got four. It's got got like... Yeah, Goke Body Fetcher from Hell, Genocide. Invasion. And The Living Skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. You and I watched The Living Skeleton pretty recently. It's a great set. Actually, we have another movie we have to watch soon. We have a yokai film to watch, but that is neither here nor there for another episode. Let's go ahead and move along. So after Matango, can you guys think of anything like scary coming out of Toho for that time? Matango is 63, right? Yeah. So like basically 63 is when Matango and Atragon <laughs> happened. And 64 is when they kick back in with Godzilla versus The Thing and yeah. Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Even though it's not a Daikaiju movie. I do think, you know, there are elements of the H-Man, which are kind of oh, got good some point. good spooky mm. yes. and kind of disturbing uh, horror elements about it. Yeah, the H-Man and the Human Vapor and the Secret of the Telegian, if I'm saying that correctly, are sort of what I would consider to be like the Human Mutant series. I think that's yeah. what I've heard it called, actually. Mm-hmm. Have you seen I the H-Man? I like that one quite a bit. I think it's pretty good. All three are pretty good. They're both they're both similar and yet in ways they are very different. They're they're stories about where humans do <laughs> they're stories about where humans transform, essentially. So like one person turns into a jelly that can kill people. One person turns into a vapor that can yeah. kill people. Yeah. One person turns into <laughs> I don't remember what Where's, the secret is. Where are they religion. from, these, the H-Men? They're all from Toho. Oh, yeah, they're they? all from yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. I think they're from the 50s, though. Late 50s, early 60s, Early 60s, I think, yeah. Okay. Like, right I, yeah, again, yeah. I've been focusing on the giant monsters. But yes, yes. Yeah, I have seen those, and I, I do enjoy them as well. So Toho, you know, is no stranger to doing scary stuff at all. But I truly feel like in 1965, that's when they really picked things back up for... Uh, trying to add some scares, as it were. Because as the Godzilla series continued, like you said, Jeff, the audience is skewing younger and younger and younger with each movie that comes out. Yeah. And granted, at this point, 1963, there's really only three Godzilla movies out. But that last one, 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla, was definitely not scary. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the next two, Mothra, 
versus Godzilla and, you know, Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Mm, That's Aside scary. from that baseline, not scary. Then uh, we're going to go ahead pretty, and... pretty, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely pretty. We're going to jump off the Godzilla train and jump onto the Frankenstein train. Oh, yeah. Very short train. That is a short train. But 1965's Frankenstein versus Baragon, a.k.a. Frankenstein Conquers the World. Jeff, when did you first see that movie? I'm just curious. Frankenstein Conquers the World. I think I was at least, I have to be a late teenager. Yeah. Because, you know, my introduction to, you know, the kaiju films were always based on, you know, like Saturday Afternoon or Bob Wilkins' Creature Features. Oh, yeah, totally. And that was not like a staple. Really? Did not okay. show that one, or at least not that I ever saw. Because I know it's an AIP production over here. Yeah, so I never saw that one. So I didn't really see that one until video. I think I was probably 17, 18 years old. Gotcha. Before I saw that film. Like, I'm, I guess I'm curious as, like, if you have a connection to it, or do you think it has any sort of horrific connections to it? <sighs> I mean, it's fun. I mean, I guess if you, you know, because it's got Frankenstein in there, and the whole thing with it's Frankenstein's heart. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole prologue of like, you know, in Germany and (laughs) the end of World War II, which is incredible. I mean, it's (laughs) fantastic. It's pretty verbose. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, what's going on? But, but, you know, it's, it's a fun, it's a very creative and innovative concept. I just was not that pleased with how Frankenstein look, look, look like Chaka. Or sound. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Look like Chaka from Lost in Space. So. Land of the Lost. Yeah, Land of the Lost. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. My bad. Not Lost in Space. Land of the Lost. Yeah. It did look like Chaka. Land of the Lost in Space. Yeah. Yes. That shows. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. That uh, terrible, like, forehead prosthetic. Oh, my Lord. It's. It is interesting. It's one of those movies where I never watched that as a kid, right? So I don't have any nostalgia towards it. I definitely saw that for the first time as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I've grown to like it i've grown to appreciate it but at the time my first viewing i was like what is this and because it's uh like it's a human and they didn't really slow down the film consistently all the time it's kind of an it it was hard for me to get into (laughs) right when i was first watching those films yeah but the reason i wanted to bring it up is because just that whole introduction Seems like they were kind of going for a little bit of a hammer vibe. I kind of, yeah, I kind of thought that when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this, I mean, especially, you know, the prologue totally feels like they're going to go that way. But what ends up happening is like nothing, (laughs) at least with (laughs) the concept of what Frankenstein ended up looking like, basically, which is, like I said, you know, it's not anything like you would assume Frankenstein would look like. No. Not, that's not a, that you have to do the flat-headed Frankenstein, because I know Universal has, you know, a patent on that. But Hammer did, you know, the Christopher Lee Frankenstein. Right, right. But this, you know, loin, loincloth Neanderthal boy, that's not Frankenstein to me. But yeah. whatever. What uh, do I know? Don't you mean Frankenstein's monster? Yes, <laughs> Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Give me 40 lashes, Kyle, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say I give you 40 lashes? Yeah, for getting it. I said Frankenstein instead of Frankenstein's monster. Okay, so I do get to punish you. Absolutely. I'm going to go to the other room. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Should we move on to another movie? This Maybe is, the sequel. This is spiraling down the drain quickly. So if Frankenstein <laughs> Conquers the World 
outside of that intro mm-hmm. doesn't really have horror in it. Like, would you not consider that to be part of the the Toho horror oeuvre? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> How about War of the Gargantuas? Much more so, in my opinion. Okay. Why is yeah. that, Jeff? You got two actual legitimately cool looking monsters, right? Actual monsters. Yeah. Actual monster suits. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a pretty good reason. One of them is legitimately dangerous. So yes. now instead of actually just being that people. baseline, exactly. Instead actually of eats just people, being the baseline is... of giant towering beast. Yeah. He eats people. He eats people, <laughs> which is like, you know, that's kind of like, oh man. What a mean and grumpy guy. Come on. Gyra is grumpy. Those poor people. I'm pretty sure that's what they call him in Japan is grumpy Gyra. (laughs) So what do you guys think? You think uh, War Gargantuas is a... I think that song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Gretchen loves the song. I love... She she finds horror in the song. I do. I do. Apparently somebody did a version of that song that didn't suck recently. Oh, yeah. good for them. Yeah, I haven't been, I haven't sought it out, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I feel like this movie has horrific elements in it, you know, sure. uh, but not too much greater than they were in Frankenstein Conquers the World. Yeah. You right. know, like the people who get attacked by Baragon in Frankenstein in the first film, you know, that's just the same as I would say any giant monster attack, you know, there's nothing outside of that baseline that we're talking about, but with Gyra eating people and with Sanda saving people, you know, it gives a really nice contrast to them as beasts. Yeah. But, and you know, does that actually lend itself to horror where you have like that dichotomy, you know, was beauty killed the beast kind of stuff like i don't know <laughs> but i think uh i think outside of that it's it would be stretching it to call call war of the gargantuas a horror film at yeah. like any stretch of the imagination but i don't think i mean it's a monster movie right because horror has such a huge umbrella mm-hmm. that there's all these you know kind of tangent things and i think monster movies kind of fall under this huge umbrella which is right, called yeah horror movies <laughs> i think well i think you know monster movies are going to appeal to horror fans yes Agreed. even though they're not necessarily horror films true i know a lot of horror fans that love godzilla movies but they also want godzilla movies to be brutal and bloody and horrific yeah and there are i mean there's not a whole lot that are that no, the, the, no a few have elements of it but you know it's not there's not been a full-on full-fledged bloody brutal godzilla movie I agree with that. So let's, uh, since we're in 1966, let's hop off the Toho train and onto the Dai train. Jeff, I believe you wanted to talk about the Daimajin series. Yeah, the Daimajin series, I think, is, I mean, it's more like, you know, folklore, mm-hmm. but it does, you know, deal with the whole, you know, kind of like, uh, revenge deity, which I think is very kind of popular in horror films. Such as like Pumpkinhead. Oh, yeah. Which is very much the same concept. Uh, spoilers, but, uh, okay. Um, you've not, you have not seen Pumpkinhead? <laughs> no, it's, it's later in the list. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna. <laughs> yeah. So, but. You might be mad at Jeff after that. No. I'm not. <laughs> not fine. I know there's like, a statute of limitations. You don't like Pumpkinhead? I love Pumpkinhead. She's yeah. saying but I may be mad at you for spoiling something. Oh, no, no, okay. no. But no. the Helen, like, Night of the Comets, I don't know. Like, oh, uh, gotcha. Well, the same. There's I a mean, monster in Pumpkinhead. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. 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 
But it is with the same kind of concept of, you know, someone who is wronged. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, wants to get revenge. Yeah. And summons, you know, or prays to a deity to, you know. Like their golem. Yes. Sure. You know, just famous Jewish folklore. Is that considered a horror movie? Uh, yes. Der Gollum is. Yeah. It is considered a, a you know. It's like a Nosferatu era horror yeah, film. Yeah, it's a right? German film. Mm. Yeah, made in like 1920. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Dimogene series, and there's, I mean, Dimogene series is one of those, it's like, it's not kid friendly. True. Like, I do not believe, like, you'd be like, oh, kids, let's watch Dimogene. Uh, Dimogene. Yeah, it's more of an adult theme, more more mature theme. Yeah, and it's very less kiddy and very somber, very serious, and fairly violent when it comes to the climax of the film. See, I'll agree with you on those points for sure. Yeah, but aside from the sort of intro to those movies, and mostly the first movie, and I believe the third film, Mm -hmm. I can't remember about the second one, but the those movies have introductions that are kind of like. Look how bad things were. Look at this terrible god he is. Look at all the destruction he causes just because he is. And that is the, that is the perfect lead-in for the people who are shown in the village, especially in the first movie, hearing Maijin's footsteps mm-hmm. and freaking out. Like, yeah. that to me, that was a great introduction with a little bit of a horror vibe. Yeah, yeah. And I do think the whole series, all three films, will appeal to horror fans. I think I think I would agree with that for sure. You know, I mean, there's no campiness, like I said before. You know, it's not. It's played straight. Yeah, it's played straight, and it's you know, it's it's a pretty somber kind of violent affair. There's not a whole lot of joy in this movie. No, there really know. isn't. <laughs> there really isn't. But it's excellently made, especially the first film. What do you think about Dimogene and the trilogy therein, Gretchen? Oh, I mean, I don't have anything like opposing at all. But it's a great series. It's just funny to think about how where it where it was and then where it is now. Uh, where it ended up in Dimogene yeah, canon. Yeah, it's like <laughs> how he was like this wrathful deity, and then in Dimogene canon, he's like this kind of like just a rock face. That and, has feelings. And then eventually comes to life and is goofy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor Dimogene. Poor How the Dimogene. mighty have fallen for real. Oh, no way. <laughs> There's the horror story. <laughs> Absolutely. Right there. there you go. Uh, well, I just wanted to briefly, super briefly talk about Gamera films. Oh, shoot dang. What? But I'm talking about the old Showa oh, era okay. Gamera films. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why Gamera versus Earth? Giron? No, we're talking before that, man. Like, so in the first movie, 1965's Gamera or Daikaiju Gamera, mm-hmm. he is that's sort of a horror movie. Like they're trying to make it like Godzilla, but I'm not considering that one's for that kids, one. right? It's sort of for kids because there's a kid in it who befriends him. It's a so Kenny. that sort of like erases that baseline, and you know, so we're gonna move away from that one, and we're gonna go with the second film, Gamera versus Barugan, in nineteen sixty six. That's the that's the that is the creature. Barugan is the creature that shoots the rainbow out of his back, has the tongue that sticks out and freezes things. Oh, he looks kind of yeah, like yeah. an alligator lizard thing. Yeah. Anyway, that whole beginning of that movie starts off like a quest gone bad movie. I wouldn't necessarily call it scary. 
until they get the the team of bad guys who's trying to steal this jewel they get to the island that's where things start getting hairy they shoot people in the village they go into the cave one of the guys gets bitten by a spider there's apparently just bad luck all associated with this jewel which is what it feels like that kind of movie i don't know what you'd call that like quest gone bad or something i don't know cursed jewel cursed jewel yeah. thank you that's much better so yeah the curse a cursed movie kind yeah. of thing right but then that hatches, it turns into Baruga, and then Gamera shows up, and the battle ensues. And he's a friend to all children. Then he becomes a friend to all children. But before that happens, 1967's Gamera versus Gauss. Can we just talk about the fact Whoa. that Gauss was lured to his trap with an entire gigantic portion of blood that they were <laughs> serving him? <laughs> blood. 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 But it didn't and look... And bits of sick. It didn't look scary No, like it's not scary. It's like... But I've heard people call him the vampire bat monster. Sure. Yeah. But we're moving it, on. If he's attracted by blood... That's a vampire. Right? He's a vampire. Has to be. That's how he was able to come back later in the other Gauss film. from Transylvania. <laughs> anyway, I was going to talk about Camera versus Virus because the aliens get their heads blown off but uh move along we'll jump back over to toho and we i think we're going to talk about the last potentially scary film in the showa era that would be godzilla versus hetera yeah it's not I mean, that it's a scary movie but the concept wise like coming from the fact that hetera was this product of sludge and like refuse of humans like but also from space. For also from space. Yeah. And it's one of also the one of the movies that show a little bit of the after effects. Oh man. Yeah, that poor kid. It's kitty. almost like I took notes on that knowing Jeff would bring that up. Yeah, right. Yeah. On screen deaths. Very, On screen yeah. deaths. very rare. In the a people movie. Like, yeah. raising their arms out of the sludge and yeah. the kitty. And the baby. <laughs> yeah. The oh, so yeah. That, I mean, that's right. one of the things yeah. that I kind of think like, you know, when you're making a Godzilla film, especially in so many Godzilla films, when you look at all the destruction, sure, that you know you don't want to show a whole massive amount of loss of life because all of a sudden that's like that's a bummer. That's a bummer, <laughs> man. Right? Yeah. So it's like you know a lot of the films kind of just gloss over that, or you just assume they evacuated everybody. Mm. So it's only loss of property. Yeah, this movie shows people you know. getting caught up in. The, yeah. the monsters attack. So you automatically have that, you know, that takes it to a different level. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. And it's also terrifying the way they show those deaths that it's not necessarily like, like you see this happen. It's like these snapshots. Sure. And then the, how about the guy who is literally on the scaffolding and yeah. goes through the scaffolding and just a skeleton lands on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so messed up. Yeah. So messed up. So, it's just unfortunate that that movie kind of just like took a different turn. I mean, yeah. I, there's so many things I love. I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. I mean, obviously I got like, a tattooed on myself. Sure. But, you know, I, I, I could see it being two different films in so many ways. I mean, there is that whole like Bannon, like death law thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bannon? <laughs> the, uh, the one. <laughs> 
Well, but you like the design of Hedro. I think we all love the design oh, yeah. of Hedro. Oh, yeah. Which I've heard boy. people say is almost Lovecraftian. In, in sure, look, he's got like the kind know. of tentacly, cthulhu mouth kind of aspect. Sure, 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 sure. Sure, 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 sure. I'll buy that. But he's got cute eyes. He's he, so cute. He's got cute Sparkly eyes. Boy. He's got like eyelashes. And sure. Stuff, no, so. he doesn't have eyelashes. Anyway, sure? anyway. <laughs> he's just super pretty. He is. Yeah. He's a good looking guy. He's a real sharp dresser, that Edra. <laughs> but the aside from the design and aside from just the fact that like kaiju are dangerous in this, or Hedra is dangerous mm. in the film. I don't really see that much in the way of horror. No, the soundtrack takes it away. The cartoons, a lot of the kid, yeah, the yeah. fish people could have been really weird, like, like ultra Q, but no, <laughs> they walked away. It's just a hallucination, but <laughs> is, uh, is Godzilla versus Hedra. The Dario Argento Godzilla movie. Uh, no, <laughs> that's a good, that is a very good, <laughs> Connection you just made there. Yeah. Like when I think of last year when I did Inktober and I watched Suspiria. Yeah. I was like, okay, is this scary? Like, is this horrific? And it was, and it was also horrific. But at the same time, I was almost shell shocked while I watched it. Yeah. And it reminds me of when I watched Godzilla versus Hedra. For the yeah. first time. I can see the connect. That's a... G- the colors. You are just completely on your game right now. Yeah. You need to write an article about this. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> but that's a, that is the good connection. Godzilla vs. Hedera is the Suspiria <laughs> of the I'm Godzilla, Godzilla series. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Would you agree? No. Gretchen? <laughs> okay. Really? I mean, color-wise, sure. I get I exact, get what you're putting down. Like, How about just in direction? Sure. How about yes. just in and the editing? baroqueness of it all? Yeah, you know. but how about just in in diversions? I mean, you all know after Monster Palooza how I feel about Suspiria. I do, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, just in terms of like its divergence from the other, mm. from what came before it. You know, absolutely. It like, just it's in, it's, it's kind of a Kenny insane. though that wrecks the whole like tone uh, tonality for me. The I Kenny's get you. Mess it up for I me. I get you. I almost don't even think of Kenny when I think of that movie. Yeah. I somehow am able to just gloss him over, to use your phrase. Because kids know more about science than scientists. So earlier, we talked about Godzilla versus Gigan briefly Mm -hmm. because of, uh, not Mamagon, but because of uh, the cockroach aliens, right? So 1972, actually, let me step back before Hedra, actually. Mm -hmm. These movies, at this point of the Godzilla series... They are marketed for children. I think we all know that there's no sugarcoating it. <laughs> you know, these were essentially kids' movies. They were not serious films that were thought about by the majority of the Japanese populace as solid entertainment anymore. So it's one of the reasons I feel like because Hedra went to such potentially scary depths, it was, it sort of stands out. It's out of place. Sure. In that same vein, though, because we're moving along with the Godzilla series as they are kids' films, are there any other aspects of these films, like in Godzilla vs. Gigan and the cockroach aliens? Do either of you guys see any correlations to that sort of reveal as a big, oh, scary thing 
to any other films that I mean, Jeff, I can already see is going to say no, but <laughs> I mean, possibly it's not but, scary. Yeah, and I know it that it's not that, scary. That scary. Maybe if you were six, maybe but, and really terrified know. of cockroaches. Uh, yeah. I'm like drawing these large lines, but like the whole person turning into a cockroach thing, it's very, um, Besides Kafka, but during oh. that time period, it was um, William S. Burroughs. Oh, okay. Kind of spilling a little bit of Kafka into his into his writing style, and he was pretty prolific as far mm. as like all over the world interests. I mean, that could be a little nod to so, to some like William S. Burroughs like Naked Lunch. I feel eh, like Shinichi eh. Sekizawa wrote that. Just uh, proves that a lot of people were doing a lot of drugs, right? Truly, truly. <laughs> Save the earth. Uh, I have that record (laughs) Well let's take a little bit of a break And we'll come back and we'll hit on the Heisei era And I know I said I was not going to seek it out But I thought I'd play the good version Of Feel in My Heart And hopefully this won't be a destructive Earworm for you listeners If my lips could Stopping terror. 
starring Nick Adams. Well, I feel he's very important from a scientific point of view. I'd have to cut off a leg or an arm. Doctors, I won't let you conduct this test. Frankenstein, with the strength of a thousand men. And every man's need for affection that makes him a willing captive. The chain hurts you. <laughs> the new scoop of the century. The horrifying touch of a severed hand with a life of its own. The terrifying force of a monster that dwarfs man's tallest structures. So we've already moved past the Showa era of Godzilla films, and we're going to start talking about the Heisei era of things. And, you know, again, those same subjects. But what I wanted to sort of emphasize is that while the Godzilla series was not happening, Toho was still making science fiction pictures. They were still doing things and putting money into these big budget effects pictures, you know, like Submersion of Japan which was brought over to America as Tidal Wave with Lauren Green. In addition to that, The Prophecies of Nostradamus. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah, have you ever heard about that, Jeff? I don't believe so. Prophecies of Nostradamus is a very bizarre film. First up, I will completely admit I've never really watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started watching it once, and it was like a VHS rip, and I was like, I think a better version exists out there, so I'll look for that. And I haven't found it yet. I know where I can get one. I don't need anybody sending me instructions on how to do it. I, I, I'll i get it eventually. But so is that a very fatalistic type? I think so. But basically, it's trippy. It's, trippy. it's also another banned movie. Mm. So for whatever reasons, it was banned in Japan. Why? Do you know why it was banned? I literally just said for whatever reasons. That's like <laughs> whatever. prefacing it saying, I don't know. Okay. You can cut this part out. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you, yes, I do know why. And this is <laughs> completely different recording sounding. Well, Jeff, uh, let me see if I can recall what Anthony Romero's review on Toho Kingdom mentions. He says, without a doubt, it's most famous for the self-imposed ban placed on the film by Toho. As only a week after the film's release, controversy regarding prophecies of Nostradamus began to mount. A member of the No Nukes group filed a complaint to the Arian board 
an organization in charge of censoring films in Japan, that scenes involving the mutants in New Guinea and the mutants after the nuclear war were offensive towards survivors of nuclear explosions. Toho rushed to address this complaint by requesting projectionists to manually remove almost two minutes of offensive footage from the film and supposedly dubbed in the line for one of their characters, don't shoot, there are human beings, don't shoot, as he's being attacked by the New Guinea mutants. To further appease the board, who ruled that the scenes were offensive, Toho pulled the film, edited it down to 90 minutes, and re-released it to finish out the movie's theatrical run. Another 90-minute version of the film was created with the offensive scenes when Toho made their international version of the film, which cuts a lot of the plot before disasters start to hit in Prophecies of Notre Dame. In the 1980s, UPA made another edit of the film as they cut down the movie to a running time of only 72 minutes, while also adding their own version of the film's opening. It's the 72-minute edit, dubbed The Last Days of Planet Earth, which is unfortunately the only version of the film to make it to a home video release, as Toho has basically banned the film in Japan. An uncut 114-minute presentation of the film was shown on TV in Japan in 1980, though, but this was the last time the version would ever be shown. And that's just, you know, completely off the top of the dome there, of course, uh, and hopefully I remembered that right. Anyway, continuing on with it, there were other big-budget sci-fi pictures. They did The War in Space, which is basically a Star Wars rip-off film, so there's a lot of money sunk into that for sure. Also, we can't forget to mention Sayonara Jupiter, just as another special effects picture done in between the two Godzilla eras. So, by the time they brought back Godzilla in 1984, I would think they were ready to spend some good money on these movies. And I'm not saying that there's a correlation between spending money and making things scary. But, you know, this is Godzilla coming back. They wanted to make him a more adult-themed sort of monster movie. And in that process, I think that the very introduction, the first part of that movie, is actually pretty scary. When I saw it as a kid, I thought all those dead bodies on the ship that were eaten by the sea louse, I thought that was some serious scary stuff when I was a kid. It is. Okay. Thought for a second I was going to get made fun of because no, <laughs> me and Gretchen looking at each other, eyebrows raised, like, what the hell? Is this? <laughs> like, this is your opportunity, Jeff, to yeah. turn me into the big baby. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm a big baby? <laughs> you picking, picturing, I cast over. Are you picturing me on the trike again? <laughs> That's the thing. You're going to be picturing me on a trike, pedaling as fast well, as I can. Did you take pictures of yourself on the trike at the, um, at that? exhibited in the Beard Lady Museum? No, that was too... I couldn't go... If I was to go do that, that would... <laughs> you'd have to carry me out and be like, what? what is wrong with him? What, what is he trying to get away from? <laughs> so, where... Rachel did what's it. What's happening here is yeah. we're talking about this place we went to in Los Angeles, in Burbank, actually. We have to go back and listen to the yeah. our Monster Palooza right. recap yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah. It's somewhere in there. <laughs> Anyway, yes. so anyway, as we were saying, I am picturing you on the trike. And if a listener doesn't provide some sort of fan, fan art. art of Jeff on a trike. Oh, wait, Clancy, <laughs> we're Clan summoning you. Wait, actually, has Clancy transcended fan meme creation yeah. Like as being part of the show? Like, is he allowed to make memes anymore? He can. Okay. He does it all. That he's like, he... He loves to just superimpose. Uh, <laughs> well, he could put you on Danny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. I think we have Absolutely. a job with for Godzilla Clancy. in the background. 
Clancy who couldn't or make it. Cookie tonight. Monster. <laughs> cookie Monster in the background for sure. Anyway, so Ooh, yeah, I, I always thought that that was very scary when I was mm-hmm. a kid. The Shokiras, the uh, the sea louse. In fact, when I was a little bit older, I was like kind of afraid. Like, well, how big are sea lice actually supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Not nearly as large as in the movie, <laughs> I found out. <laughs> what else would qualify as scary stuff at all from the Heisei era? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say it's scary, but Biolante definitely has a lot of you know, Dr. Frankenstein influence. Uh, don't you mean it. Frankenstein's mind? I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, no, Dr. Dr. no Dr. Frankenstein, you know. Dr. Shiragami Frankenstein. Yes. And, and, and it's a very kind of wet and wonderfully, you know, gory. Like we had mentioned it just recently on our Biolante episode. Yeah. Yeah. About how kind of wet and, uh, um, sticky. And sappy and greeny and grossy but and all that stuff yeah. was, yeah. His personality wasn't wasn't like a horror driven type of style of character though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I, I just moved father. away from Doctor yeah. Shiragami and oh. moved on to just what his yeah. mind was just thinking of wet sticky stuff. I'm like just that. gonna yeah. I'm gonna be innocent and talk about that. You, yeah, we should continue. Say, That's where I not. wanted to go with the conversation. <laughs> Jeff yeah. just sort of like you turned it on me. Yeah, but, I'm I'm just saying like it's not necessarily, you know, it's not horror driven yeah. at all. But the Frankenstein, you know, motif is there with, you know, the doctor. And splicing the genes. You know, yeah. splicing the genes. And then well, you have like. The lightning, too. There's the a lightning, lightning storm and there's a moon, yeah. or like, like a moon and lightning shot, which is very, I think, kind of like Frankenstein inspired or something like that, creating life. I would definitely say there's a Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein but, moment you know, there. Is it scary? No. No. Violante yeah. Rose is pretty scary with that big like maw hmm i i find but that there like, are terror elements in there not, i would never classify that film as a horror film no and i'd never found i, Bi- I never found that incarnation of yeah. biolante to be scary yeah you know uh, just the fact that biolante has tentacles that's sort of a little more frightening but still we're talking about a giant monster i think that's sort of like around that same baseline that we were talking about before yeah yeah, besides that, I can't think of anything horrific that comes into play in King Ghidra or Mothra or Mechagodzilla or even Space Godzilla. And it really isn't until Destroya where you get a predicted end of the world doomsday scenario where Godzilla is overheating and he's going to melt through the core of the earth mm-hmm. that the, even hints at horror. The little crab like destroyers are a little creepy. Yeah, but and they're, not, they're but, trying you know. to evoke. But the problem I have with that is that the way that they implemented the Destroyer Crabs was a ripoff of Aliens. Totally. And yeah. because of that, it automatically makes it A, less scary, and B, a little sour tasting because they're ripping something off. Yeah. You know, like, Never once did I think that the Indiana Jones ripoff scene in Godzilla versus Mothra was exciting because yeah. it immediately is like, wow, they are fully ripping off these movies. Yeah. No shame in it. So I don't really, I just can't see anything scary. I think there's a, there's like a veil of non scary that's just permanently placed over the Heisei series for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that end of the world scenario that they showed in the like the first time they showed one of those in Godzilla versus Destroya, 
I would don't want to say I was scared, but I was like, finally, I can feel a little terror of something. Yeah, you know? yeah. It was nice. Directly after the Godzilla Heisei series, though, we definitely wanted to touch on the Gamera trilogy from oh, the Heisei man. era. Because each one of these films has a slice of horror in it. Even if it's just very thin layer, it's wafer thin. What was your favorite horrific aspect of Gamera? Actually, any part of the Gamera trilogy, Gosh. not necessarily that it has well, to be from Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. That really terrifying moment when she's she finds baby Idris, like in the woods or is it the shed? Uh, it's a, I think it's in an old shrine, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. She goes in the back of an old shrine. I, I knew it was like in a building, but I just like, it's been since we but did it's the also Women of like Kaiju a cave one. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's weird. So that moment was built up with so much tense, like tense yeah. music and kind of like the look of everything. Mm -hmm. You just knew that there's going to be something horrific and it's this terribly kawaii, like <laughs> adorable, cutie, cutie monster that's all yellow and adorable. And it turns into that awful, awful. <laughs> More tentacles. More yeah. tentacles. Yeah, I do. I agree with Gretchen that. Baby Iris is very Lovecraftian yeah. in, in nature, in its whole look yeah. and, and design. And it's very, I'm sure it's cute at first, but it's very off-putting. It is off-putting. You know? Yeah, because it's like disarmingly It's like, so, like uh, otherworldly cute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it is, I mean, it's a credit to the effects masters that totally. they pull that off. Because I still, when you watch it today, you still get like... You know, it's cute, but this is something is not right here. Yeah, you know, this like is disturbing. A dis like a like a monster doll kind of story, like yeah, kind of yeah. feel. Like yeah, you yeah. know, the doll is there's something wrong with the yeah. doll. Yeah, I mean, there's I more. No, it's going to come to life and kill everybody. There's <laughs> definitely but it's so cute. definitely more horror slash disturbing elements of the Gamera trilogy than there is in the entire Heisei series. Yeah, let's totally. uh, let's work backwards. So I would say Gamera two has a very, very convincing horror intro, very similar to some of the other films we talked about, with the Legion soldiers. The Legion yeah, soldiers, yeah. I mean, the Man. dude's Absolutely. head they gets were gnarly. Sawed, like, sliced off, and blood gets splattered yeah. all over a window. Yeah, it's very, a lot more graphic than anything they ever showed in the Heisei series. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah. There's something about their, like, eyeballs that are, like, that give me kind of a squidgy, like, ugh, it's mm. like a very creepy kind of feeling from them. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know if it's the, the way, like, they rotate in their socket or it reminds me of that Moon Over Dao movie mm -hmm. where, like, that monster's eyes had that very oh, similar yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of squidgy, like, look to them. Yeah, the Legion soldiers are very, um, it's like, uh, okay, so everybody here is familiar with the Dark Crystal. Totally. Right? They're like Spencer's. So, uh, the, actually, they're more like Gartham <gasps> from the Dark Crystal. But they're... Oh, yeah. I, I don't actually think they're as well done as Gartham. Gartham have a different vibe to them. Like, the, the Legion soldiers have, like, to use your term, squishy, like, sounds they make, too. Yeah. You know? And, like, the Gartham... They just seem big and bad, you know. But the the Legion soldiers have always had that sort of vibe, like they there is a dude inside making that suit come to life, and that's why it's shaking like that. And that's like so it's super creepy. creepy. Yeah, I love 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 the intro to that second film. Everything about Gamera Two is amazing to me, but the the introduction to that gives it a really creepy vibe, and it gives me absolute echoes of like Rodan for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then the first film, you know, dialing it back to 95, Camera Guardian of the Universe, Gauss is man-sized at the beginning. They told, The whole thing starts off with them looking at this island where people are disappearing and being eaten. They've got that whole yeah. scene in the rain where the Gauss rips the <laughs> roof off the boat and takes the guys out. Like, that's got horror elements in it for sure. And that's the, how they that's kick Jurassic off Park. the entire series. That's true. It's only a couple of years after Jurassic Park. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do they actually have a scene like that in the first one? Yes, the Tyrannosaurus Rex when he bites the top of the... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> similar, similar. But I'm, I'm saying. I'm just going to defend Gamera until I die. But the... Uh, yeah, I think, you know, the director of that series, Shusuke Kaneko, he had a total vision in mind for some of these things. And like, he's got a good eye for horror. I think he directed the episode that Chiaki J. Konaka did of right. ultra Q dark fantasy, at least the first one, the, the, the bass player. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Aside from those, the millennium series, can you guys think of anything scary that happens in the, the millennium series? No. Uh, the only thing I will say is the return of the mega neurons and the director, which is Masaki Tezuka. Mm-hmm. He actually did a fantastic job, even though the scenes only probably a couple minutes in the movie did a fantastic job of making those things look scary and kill people quite violently. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was, uh, unfortunately it just didn't have any repercussions throughout the rest of the film. And we didn't get to see that actually Mega Gearus be like a total badass either. Yeah. So it's sort of, I don't know, that whole movie, I would never consider Mega Gearus a horror movie, but definitely painted the begin or definitely parts of it are painted with a horror brush. Yeah. I do think like GMK has a couple of moments. Um, like the one moment that sticks out for me, and this is more kind of a, you know, black comedy moment is when the, Girls in the hospital. Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. You know, and because that's one of the one, you know, one of the few instances where you see, you know, someone on a civilian basically mm-hmm. on the ground and then, oh no. And it's just like, you know, it's a black comedy moment because she's like, oh, he passed. I'm going to be okay. But then his tail comes and just completely destroys the hospital. <laughs> You're never safe from Godzilla, people. What was yeah. the other one? Oh, I can yeah. see what you're talking about. Well, I do about. like the scene in the uh, where the school teacher is talking to the oh, kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the she looks over cloud, in the mushroom yeah. cloud, which... It's just a, a good As scene. a kid who's growing up also, like, in the 70s and 80s, who were, like... I was, like, you know, growing up in the early 80s, watching The Day After mm. and all these mm. kind of movies oh where, you, where you thought, like, oh, nuclear war was right around the corner. Mm. That, you know, that scene still is, like, you know, it's kind of spooky right i mean it's like it's not horrific but it's like sure sure i do think there's a little bit of you know there's some darkness in there that that is presented that is not you know shown in a lot of other godzilla films i will of course completely agree with that i mean gmk is one of my favorite films in the entirety of the kaiju landscape you know and so for me i wish i could find more about gmk that was scary i mean I think the only thing that really qualifies for me is just the intro where they have um, where Godzilla destroys that sub and then the two other subs go after to go investigate and you can't see him. 
mm-hmm. but you see his fins swimming through the water. Yeah. And you hear the, and it's like Jaws, you know, mm. but just for a split second. Never seen you know. it. Uh, Jaws is a movie about a <laughs> dolphin that goes crazy and uh, kills a pod of Is it a dolphin uh, or is it a whale? Whales. Is it, is it a uh, dolphin the, or is it a whale? Whales and dolphins together. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, they mated and created a super dolphin whale. Okay. And that is what Jaws is. I'll have to search it out. That movie, The Day After Tomorrow. Like, The Day you After? You mean The Day After? Yes. Holy moly. That Talk about movie that gave me absolutely nightmares for, like, months. Oh, yeah? As a kid? I was a kid. It terrified me. Like, I remember that was on. It was like a big deal. And like, well, they I did like a weird like warning beforehand. Like, this will keep you up for nights. <laughs> I remember that it, them talking about oh. it because they're like, this is the terror of like what could happen when you have radiation poisoning and no like, way. Oh, I've it never was seen that. so messed up. It was oh, so crazy. messed up. And it was a TV movie. The yeah, la- what is it called? Chills. The last day. The day, day after. after. The day after. Yeah. Basically, and, like, your mom watching her kids, and you're like. It's like a, you know, it's like a basically <laughs> what happens at nuclear war happens. Is like it, it scary? No. Well, no, it doesn't it fit is, in our conversation. It is very it's scary. scary is this, it, like, oh, terrifying for like future. Like well, what, like, what, yeah, what could happen. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's like 1983, yeah. a nuclear strike happens on the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then the whole rest of the movie is the after effects of what happens to society. And I can't believe my parents never let me watch this movie. <laughs> 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 Anyway, <laughs> uh, there were a couple of other films on this list of research, and one of them begins with death and ends with Kappa. Oh, no. Death Kappa. Jeff, were you here for the Death Kappa screening? I was not here. I wasn't either, the, so. I think you and, was it Dave? Yeah. Yeah, Dave was here. Yeah, Dave loves yeah. that movie. Dave loves Death Kappa like I love a good kick in the head. <laughs> Actually, he probably loves it more than that. Uh I don't really think that Death Kappa is scary. No. However, you cannot ignore the connections that you will see in Death Kappa if you've seen other Japanese gore films. Totally. Like Tokyo Gore Police, Police, Machine Girl, I'm Frankenstein Girl. Yeah, like lots of, there's tons. It's an entire genre. It's not like, it's not horror necessarily, but it is horror. Yeah. And it doesn't take itself seriously. It's very tongue in cheek. Yeah. And that is what Death Kappa is like Absolutely. for me. And one of the reasons I just despised it was because it was so tongue in cheek that it didn't take itself seriously at all. And I was promised a serious movie. And, you know, he didn't grab anybody's <laughs> shikidami. <laughs> Shirokodama. Shirokodama. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know. Death Kappa, scary? Not nah. at all, right? Yeah. And then what else could we talk about scary wise? I think uh Gehara, the long and dark haired monster. We but talked about that a that couple of months ago. That movie didn't take itself seriously either. It did not. It was very, very tongue in cheek. And actually that's the kind of comedy that I enjoy. Sure. When we're talking about giant monster movies. It doesn't take itself seriously, but at the same time entertains me the way Death Kappa did not. <laughs> But I mean, I, it has uh, the lo- first up the long and dark hair monster. Gahara is actually a take on a Japanese horror element. The mm. long da- dark hair yeah. that you see on Sadako and Kayako and the yeah. other a lot of quite numerous stories. Uh, yeah. yurei stories, quite on stories, and other stuff from Japan. 
And so there is an element of it that's based on, right? So sort of like how I was saying, like, the original kaiju movies sprang from the pool of American horror giant monster movies. Gehara, in a sense, sprang from Godzilla movies and J-horror films. And in a way to make light of it for the Japanese audience on TV. But it's not scary. No. It does resemble a yokai, though. It does, like umebozu. Umibuzu. Yes. Well, and that made me think about the fact that isn't Godzilla kind of like an Umibuzu? Yes. We have talked about that in the past, how Godzilla is not classified as a yokai. Sure. But he certainly could be seen as a yokai from from a certain point of view. Mm. (laughs) So, but I mean, I guess that's sort of the delineation we make. And also why yokai are covered on the Kaiju cast every once in a while. <laughs> Listeners, I know, really want us to do a, like a yokai episode. Oh, we're doing a yokai we're gonna. episode. It will probably be out of season. <laughs> hey. That's all right. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be in season this year and maybe next year's yokai episode will be in the summertime. That would be rad. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be super cool. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Do we want to talk about anything else? Well, I have two things to say. Shin Godzilla. Okay. Technically, not a horror film, but had horrifying elements. Eh? Eh? Yeah. I, I do think Shin Godzilla compares of the blood to the-, the first film in its theme. Thank you, Jeff. You know, of basically man-made destruction. Yes. Of course, yes. I do think the first Godzilla film is more horrifying. But I do think there are elements of Shin Godzilla that are scary. Yeah, and I agree the the blood coming out of the second form's and gills. Those monsters at the end of his tail. Yes, like we're just yes. going to gloss over that slightly. But that is that is a <laughs> that Thanks is a, a in, yeah. incredible image. Oh, and and like having where that director came from with um, Evangelion being horror aspect anime mm-hmm. like that to me like ha- there were so many horrific images like you were saying where he's like he's coming over the horizon or when he's pushing through the bay I, I mean those are absolutely terrifying they reminded me of those flood videos we saw yeah from the typhoons mm-hmm. and oh it's just terrifying and that's not i mean that's deliberate yeah right. for sure that's deliberate yeah, yeah. No, so, so I think, that would be so horror. that that triggers the same type i think especially people who lived in japan and even people who didn't live in japan just like after 9-11, we had images in certain movies like Cloverfield and War of the Worlds that I trigger. I totally going to bring up Cloverfield for sure. Like Cloverfield that, yeah. and War of the Worlds have the exact same type of imagery that totally. is going to make audiences take their breath away. It's going to make them connect with like, I can identify with this destruction, which okay. I think does make it a horror film in a way. Yes, it, it makes you scared because you can identify with this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of Shin Godzilla. Even though we did not live in Japan, we didn't experience that. Mm -hmm. We did see images on YouTube and in the news. So you can see like, okay, this is not far-fetched. I mean, sure, a giant monster. But, you know, the giant monster in Shin Godzilla is a metaphor for, you know. And it had some basis in A natural destruction. One of the many metaphors in Shin Godzilla for series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think Shin Godzilla has horrific elements in it too, but it's almost, 
uh, almost plays out more like a comedy. Well, yeah, especially like human element is has yeah, with some the human element. Aspects. Yeah, you don't get that. Uh, you don't get a lot of interaction. You know, which is kind of a bummer. You know, I mean, especially when Godzilla is smaller in that movie. It seems like a perfect time for him to interact with humans, but yeah. nobody I mean, really encounters him except for like I think a shot where people are running away. From yeah, him. but yeah. I mean it's it's funny, but it's also disturbing because you're like, this is true. I mean, like how the government yeah. how the government reacts. A more realistic right. vibe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, it is, and he started off super cute. And <laughs> you like that super cute version, the, uh, the wall-eyed. I love Kamatakun. Yeah. I do. I'm an. I love him. I don't hate Kamatakun by any. He's so doofy and adorable. Any at all? Like he's cool, cooler than you. No, I'm just kidding, Jeff. <laughs> cooler than you, actually, Jeff. That's what I said. I actually like this. The third form better than Kamada-kun. Mm. He's like where he's standing upright. The red boy. <laughs> the yeah, the cute uh the cute pictures of him, like the super deformed versions, like the yes. chibi versions of of the third form, I think is like really adorable. Sometimes they give him like chicken arms. Well let's go ahead and move along. We've been recording for quite a bit time quite yeah. a bit of time tonight. And I think we should uh finish up with a housekeeping announcement. That is uh, essentially the last horror that we are going to share this evening. The horror that is our Daikaiju discussion for this month, which will be Godzilla Final Wars. Uh, if you want to have your homework turned in for this particular film, please have it done and sent in before October 21st. To be included in the Daikaiju discussion, we are going to close out this episode. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you, Jeff, for being here. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And I think it would be best to finish this episode with a song from one of the special guests from the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Necronomidal. This is Skulls in the Stars. We'll see you for the next episode, which should be a yokai episode. Jamata. Get